0: Ephesians 4 today. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn there. If you don't, you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Our ushers will come forward. They would love to give you one. Have you ever experienced an extravagant act of generosity? An extravagant act of generosity. I was talking with someone this week, and they were like, man, uh, someone here at Redemption, they're like, dude, we hit this hard times. Uh, This damage was done to our house, like over $35,000 in damage. Other people did it, it was kind of out of their control, uh, but now they were facing, it wasn't covered by insurance, they were facing losing their home because of it, and they are just like, we didn't know what we were going to do. And unbeknownst to them, uh, some friends here had organized the community, and, and behind the scenes had pulled together, seen if anyone wanted to contribute, and, and surprised them with the whole $35,000 being met in an extravagant act of generosity. Their family was overwhelmed. I have a buddy back home, Sebastian, and he, uh, he, knew, he knew a guy recently who uh, found out that his father had only a week to live. And he was across the country, and he wanted to go be with him, but he, he, he was out of money. He was broke. He was in debt. It was just him and his son alone in their apartment. And when my friend Sebastian heard, he wrote a check for their flights and hotel. He, Sebastian didn't have a lot of money either, but he wrote a check for their flights and their hotel to be able to go and spend that final week with his dad. For me and my family, just this week on the way here, uh, on the drive here, we found out that our housing situation fell through. So Holly and I were just like, oh man, what are we going to do? Probably going to have to rack up a few thousand dollars in in, in, like an Airbnb or whatever and just get settled and figure out our next move. And uh, someone from the church had, uh, I don't even know if they knew about it or not, but they approached the pastors and they were like, hey, we're going on vacation. We'd love to just open up our home in case uh, a, a family like the one coming in might need a place to stay. We were blessed by the generosity of our community here. I want to ask this morning, what is it about these extravagant acts of generosity that we find so beautiful? Even if you're not on the receiving end, even if you see it from a distance, uh, there's something in it that's compelling that draws uh, our human heart, that tags and tugs on our heartstrings. And I believe in part it's because you and I, we were made for generosity both to give it and to receive it. As we're going to see this morning, that generosity is actually a window into the nature of God, a picture of the gospel. And it points us to the reality. We're going to see that life is not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. The title for the sermon this morning is Get to Give. So turn to your neighbor next to you and say, God has given you a gift to give. Awesome, there we go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So Ephesians 4.28, let's revisit it here. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now three things I want to draw to our attention today. First is this, that generosity is the opposite of theft. Paul contrasts here theft with generosity. Uh, He shows us that uh, taking is the inversion of giving, that stealing from someone is the shadow side of blessing for someone. And this is significant because most of us, I think when we first hear Paul say, hey, the thief or the one who's been stealing, most of us probably go, that's not relevant to me. That that doesn't apply to who I am. If I were to say right now, hey, uh, raise your hand in the room if you're a thief. We got any pirates in the room? You know, like burglars or bandits? Uh, when we hear the word thief, we tend to think of someone who, like a pickpocket or a carjacker or a shoplifter. We think of maybe like Winona Ryder or Bernie Madoff or people. You know, who are <laughs> it's a pretty small circle of people, and we tend to see ourselves as outside of that. But what Paul does here is he actually expands the circle, and he does it by showing, hey, there's a spectrum. And if on one end of the spectrum is thievery, right, like the other end of the spectrum is extravagant generosity. Backdrop for this, Paul likely has the Ten Commandments in mind as the background here. Because in context, he's, these last few weeks, you've been looking at these verses around this where he's saying, hey, put off the bad stuff and put on the good stuff. And the bad stuff you need to put off are like false, uh, falsehood and put on truth instead. Put off ungodly anger and put on godliness instead, right? Put off here, um, uh, put off stealing, thief, thieving, and put on generosity. And this sounds a lot, like these put-offs, they sound a lot like thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. And so Paul seems to be going, hey, it's not just about the stuff that you don't do, it's actually in the gospel, Jesus is calling us the stuff that we do do. The Christian life is not just about what you don't do, it's about what you do do. Luther, uh, the famous reformer, he talked about this uh, in his teaching on the Ten Commandments and going, dude, the Ten Commandments were always designed to point us not just to the prohibition, the thing we're to stay away from, but in God, the positive side of it that we're actually made for. So the law says don't steal. Jesus says be generous. The law says don't take. The gospel says give. Christian life, it's not just about what we don't do, it's about what we do do. And the language here, uh, sometimes we will talk about like sins of commission and sins of omission. Uh, the things that we commit and the things that we omit, right? And the sense here is like sins of commission, these are things that we do that you're not supposed to. Things that you commit or you act that you're not supposed to. But sins of omission are things that you don't do that you are supposed to. And the reality is that God is not just interested in gathering a bunch of people together who don't steal, God is interested in gathering together a people who give generously of themselves to build up community together and to lavish kind of an overflow into the city around them and beyond. So God invites us to generosity. And one of the problems I think we face is that we often like to appear generous more than we like to be generous. We give you an example. So two weeks ago, we we're in Disneyland, and you know they have a little shuttle that takes you from the hotel over to uh, Disneyland Park. And I'm on the shuttle, holding one of my kids, and, and the bus driver's at the front. He's working hard. He's shuttling people back and forth all day long. And they've got a little tip bucket up by the front, and there's a sign that says, you know, uh, gratuity not required, but uh, but welcome. You know, you're you're welcome to do it if you want. And so I kind of pull out my my dollar or whatever, you know, and I'm ready to drop it in the bucket when we stop. So we stop and we we get in line and we're walking out of the bus. But before I can get there to the front of the bus, the bus driver like jets off and goes out to talk to his friends. I got to the front. I'm like, well, if he's not going to see it, (laughs) (laughs) what's the point? (laughs) Don't don't look at me like I'm the only one here, right? (laughs) I've seen you in line at the coffee shop. When you're walking up to, you know, when, it, when the barista takes your order and they turn around to make your drink and you had your tip out and ready, but now they're turned around, they're not looking and you kind of like slide it back in. You know, like, <laughs> like I'm in line behind you, I see you. I know, I know what you're doing. No, but there's this reality that often you and I, we like to appear generous more than we like to be generous. I believe Jesus asks us, hey, how do we live when people aren't looking? But the gospel invites us into a life where We live generously because God has been generous with us and we get to mirror and display his generosity uh, whether or not anyone sees. Because the reality is that if we're not generous, then we're not mirroring God. We're not reflecting him because we have a God who is generous. Tell the person next to you, your God is generous. That's right. Our God is generous. We have been made as image bearers of a generous God. See, sometimes I think we have this misconception. We think that God, why did God create the world? We often think maybe that God was like lonely or bored back in eternity, right? And he's kind of sullen and downcast, sort of kicking the cosmic street curb. And man, I wish I had some friends. And uh, I know I'll make some people so they can hang out with me, Right. And in this, you know, if we think that way, then then God is making us in order to fill a need in himself, to get something from us. But the beauty of the gospel, it reveals that God did not make you to get something from you. He made you to give himself to you. Let me say that again. God did not make you to get something from you. He made you to give himself to you. We believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an eternal communion of love. From before the foundation of the world, God has love and joy and relationship and life within his very existence as God. And God creates the world as an overflow, like out of, uh, out of an overflow of that triune love, he creates us to lavish himself upon us. God is out to give himself to us because we serve a generous God. God's not just interested in us not being thieves. He's interested in us becoming a generous people. Okay, well, how do we get to be generous? How do we get stuff to be generous with? I think this leads to Paul's second point here, where he's essentially saying, hey, stop taking and start making. He says, if you've been a thief, stop using those hands that you were using to steal. Start using those hands To make something, to have something to share with those in need. You might have something to give. Paul points us here to the dignity of work. That there is a dignity to work, to having something to contribute to the life of the community. This struck me once uh, when I was in Cambodia. Uh, This is a friend of mine, Abraham. He's a Cambodian pastor. And when I first met Abraham, uh, he was living in a slum. There was this, this community of thousands of people had been forcibly displaced from the city, kind of left out in this field. And so they're out there and everything, that they've lost everything. And they're out there and um, they have no homes, so they've got kind of, uh, for shelter, they've got like tarps, torn up tarps on, on sticks and all and when I met with Abraham, he had felt compelled by the Spirit. God just moved him, seeing the need of this community. He moved in with his family to help the community begin to rebuild. When we first met, he said, man, the most urgent thing, we need is homes. Because the rainy season's coming, and when it rains here, it dumps. It's like the monsoons here, right? Like it just it dumps and pours. And there's open sewage in, 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 the, in the field and all that stuff, and it's just going to rise up. And so we need, we need to get shelter and so we began kind of dreaming and brainstorming, okay, how are we going to do this? It's is about 10 years ago. And, and, um, and, you know, a lot of us, like my first impulse would be something like, well, let's just, let's just fly in a bunch of people from our church. Let's just build homes for people. But Abraham wisely he said, hey, you know, the people in this community, they know how to build homes. Back in the city, they were doing construction, a lot of them. And so the way that we organized it was this, Abraham, Abraham's church there in the slum Uh, They organized the people into family groups of five. And uh, the deal was you get free roofing materials if you help the other four families in your group build their home. They're like, they can't afford the roofing materials, but they can't afford the wood, and they can go and cut it down and bring it. And so the people gathered and brought the wood. We provided the roofing supplies. And what you ended up seeing was over the course of about a month, it was like an old Amish barn raising, right? Where everyone just comes out, you saw this village just go up, like, seemingly overnight. What Abraham said next struck me when this was done. He said, you know, that next Sunday, you have this flood of men from the village rushing into the church and saying, tell us more about this Jesus because he gave us our dignity back. There is a dignity to work, to knowing that you have something to contribute to your community, to your family, to the common table. And Aram said, often, you know, I've seen things like this go down where maybe the outsiders come in and they just build the thing and do the thing. And often uh, the people in the community, particularly like the guys, if it's construction like this, are sitting off on the sidelines. with a sense of dejection and shame because they don't have something to give. And I became convicted that often when we do like that, that can actually be a form of theft. Right? Like we are robbing people of the opportunity to contribute and to use the gifts and the skill sets and the talents that God has given them. Build up their families and their community. That's one of the reasons why we do uh, Affordable Christmas here at Redemption. Like every year, where with Affordable Christmas, that it's not, um, uh, we don't go and give the gifts directly to kids who are in, in tough spots and all. We want to lift up and empower their parents and their families. And so, for families who are in tough straits, they're able to come here. And while their kids are in another room, kind of childcare and, and, and having fun. They're able to go through and for about 10% of the price buy the gifts that they want to give their kids. So they can actually be the agents of generosity in their family. We want to wrap around and empower families in our community with opportunities like this. So one of the things that we want to be about here as well is is job creation. When we think about this, we want to be about job creation. I have a friend, uh, Sam, back home. And he has started a new coffee company called Diaspora, uh, and it's basically they employ refugees to give them a first job training experience and and, and all. And the reason, hearing Sam talk about why, he was the head roaster for uh, one of the major coffee companies in Portland. And he said, man, it was a great job. Uh, he was from India. And he's like, the, the whole reason I got into this was because I had this first step where someone took a chance on me and gave me a job. And I learned customer service and skills and in interacting with people. And and uh, and that became a catalyst to other opportunities. And so out of that, he started this going, there's a dignity to work. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to try and create opportunities for people to, to enter into that and have that kind of opportunity. I remember being in a... Uh, Vietnam years ago uh, with some churches there, and they had started in Hanoi these print shops that were entirely owned, run, and operated by people with disabilities. And it started as, as one, and then it just kind of caught on in the city. Everyone wanted to go to this. It was kind of like a FedEx or a Kinko's where you could make copies and all that. And it caught on, and they started making more. And before you knew it, you had like 12 of these print shops all around Hanoi entirely owned and operated by people with disabilities. And you talk to some of the families of the youth who are working there. And they said, man, before, there, there's often a culture of stigma here. Or if you have a disability, you kind of stay home and you stay in the shadows and you don't feel like you have anything to contribute. And there can be a sense of shame in that. Uh, but now, just kind of the fresh life that's come into our children's eyes and the awareness, the, the, the they have something to bring to our family, to our city, to our community. There's a dignity to work. I was talking with someone this weekend here from Redemption who started uh, Cultivate, a landscaping business that employs vulnerable people to help give them a, a, a step into the job market again. And so one of the uh, myths that I think we need to confront here is sometimes there can be a myth in our culture that the poor are lazy, and the reality is the poor are some of the hardest working people I know, right? Like, dude, you look at the working poor often today, and they're working three jobs just to make ends meet, right? And we see this biblically as well, right? You think of the exodus, like the Israelites were working their tail off. Pharaoh was lazy, right? Right? And I think this dignity to work can speak to some of the pain that often comes with unemployment. There's a difference between being unwilling to work and being unable to find work. And when I talked with friends over the years and in, in, in our church back home and other places where uh, dude, it often can come with a sense of, man, I, I, I've got something I want to contribute, I want to bring to the table and I don't have a an avenue for it. Well, we want to be as a church, a place that creates avenues that your gifts, that our talents, our contribution, that we get to bring it to the family table and the feast together as a community. You often hear that phrase, you know, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Uh, but what if there's a fence around the pond? Okay? One of the things we want to do is we want to create space around the pond where we get to, uh, for, for everyone to come and have a chance to fish. And that's more than just jobs uh, in the city and beyond. That also speaks to our life as a community. That each of us here, man, we want to be a church where we've all got a space at the pond. A space to bring our gifts, to pour ourselves out, to take what God's given you and to bring it into our common life together as a people. Well, I want to ask the question to you how can we raise our, our kids with this value? Because uh, this dignity of work. Oh, sorry, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> well, you preach then, Siri. <laughs> I thought so. No response. <laughs> I was checking the time, not my not my text messages. <laughs> but how can we raise our kids with this value? Because you often hear today, you know, like people complain about like the millennial work ethic, or you know, like we had a culture where we we give stuff. But I, I do think that there's something the gospel invites us into, and the power of giving. Our, for those of you who've got kids or family or whatever, there's a chance here to give them responsibility. I've been impacted by this lately, this last year. So we have a son, Torin. Uh, he's four. He's going to be five this month. And um, man, about a, a year ago, Torin just wanted to start, I, I like to call him Tornado, right? Because <laughs> he has a ball of energy and he just loves to get into everything. Uh, and he loves, this last year, he's like, Dad, I want to help you make breakfast. I want to help you do the dishes. And it's so inspiring and cute to see. And the only problem is he's not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, broken eggs all over the counter and dishes are broken whatever. and whatever. And so I'm often like, thanks, buddy, but just go back in the living room, play with your Legos, play with your, you know, uh, try and shoo them away. And a couple months ago, I was, I was driving in to work, and I felt the spirit of God convict me. What I heard God say was, Torin believes his identity is inconvenience. I started to weep. Because I realized in more ways than he even knows, the enemy has wanted to sow that word into his identity. Uh, Torin, he's an amazing son. He's adopted. Uh, We received him newborn from the hospital. Uh, But for his dad, and part of his story, his dad did not even want to take the DNA of the paternity test because he's like, it's too much of an inconvenience. I don't want to know if you're my child. His mom wanted the meth and the, the, the drugs. said, you're an inconvenience to the, the drugs. And now uh, there are these big picture ways that the enemy has tried to weave that lie into his story. And now in this small, subtle way, I found myself kind of contributing to that. The power of the gospel came in what I heard God say next. I go. Toron believes his identity is inconvenience, but that's not his true identity. His true identity is helper. I said, "Forget it. We're going to Target. We're buying fifty dollars worth of dishes. You can break them all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> gonna be broken eggs everywhere. <laughs> okay, like, let him break some eggs, right? <laughs> and I believe the reality is for many of you this morning, God wants to speak the same word to you today." You're not an inconvenience, you're a helper. Right? Turn to the person next to you, tell them, You're not an inconvenience, you're a helper. <laughs> That's the gospel. Jesus is saying, Hey, you don't have to live a life just to take in, you get to start making. And the way that we get to do that is together in our life here as a community. The third and final. I want to draw attention to you. I believe Paul is saying here, hey, don't work to live, work to give. Right? Don't work to live, work to give. Here's what I mean by that. Now, often in America, we have this uh, phrase, the saying that we like to say, and it's uh, hey, hey don't, don't, don't live to work, work to live, right? And there's something good about that phrase. It's kind of confronting like workaholism, right? Like saying don't find all your identity in your work and just put yourself fully there that you forget, you know, to your family and your friends and your neighborhood and your community. And that's good. It's calling us to that. But there's a danger, I think, in the phrase. is that when we say work to live, it can quickly and easily become self-centered. It can quickly and easily become, hey, I'm working to get enough money in the bank account for that vacation I want to go on and uh, the, the hobbies I want to do and all that and, there's nothing wrong with vacation or hobbies. I, I, I love those, right? Uh, but I believe the gospel is calling us to something deeper, going, dude, some of the uh, people with the most in the bank account who've worked and are out working to live can be some of the loneliest, most depressed people I know. And the gospel goes, hey, don't work to live. Work to give. Paul says, God is inviting you to take those hands They've been stealing and use them to make something to share with those in need, to give generously to others. Because the reality is that generosity builds up the body of Christ. Paul's main point in Ephesians, this, this book we're, we're studying that we're in, his big picture is how Jesus is reconciling a diverse community of people and is inviting us in the power of his spirit to building up our life together, to reflect and display God's glory in the world. Generosity is one of those ways that we do that, that we get to build up our life together as a people. And that's that, that's more than money, but it also includes that. And now it's here, his first time preaching, he's already going to go after the wallet, right? <laughs> like, like, no. Uh, but, but there is this reality that, man, one of the things that I, I just love about redemption is that we practice what we preach. You may not know this, but... Uh, Roughly around 20% of our budget goes outside the church walls, goes towards things like ministries that are serving the city, goes towards church planning. We want to be collectively a generous community that gives to our city and to the world. And what would it look like? I just have this vision. What would it look like to be a church where there's such an abundance that we pour into the family table together that it overflows and spills out into the neighborhood and beyond? There's that 20% and the other 80% goes towards, man, ways that we believe God has invited us to actually build up our life together as a people. You heard Daniel talking about the children's ministry earlier and all the variety of ministries and things happening uh, that are ways that we want to build into our life together as a people. Build each other up as the body of Christ, the community of God's people. I believe God is inviting some of us this morning. If you've been in a posture that's like, hey, I work to get Can quickly lead to sort of the American greed. God's going, Hey, I'm inviting you to work to give. Actually, have something to share with the community, with your neighbors, with your friends, that we would be marked and known by the the extravagant generosity of God. You know, one of the ways this shows up is uh, not just that we give from our work, but that we give at our work too. And a myth that I think we need to confront here is that only, you know, kind of culture-making or culture-shaping jobs are meaningful. We, we can have this myth today in America that kind of like, man, if you really want to make a dent in the world, if you really want to change the world, you've got to be an executive or go out and start a nonprofit or do something like that. Like, I, I'm from Portland, and we don't, we're not really known for our work ethic, right? <laughs> like, Portland's been called, equipped, you know, it's the city where 30-somethings go to retire, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the reality is that there, there's been, you know, what, what I like to call kind of back home, like start a nonprofit syndrome, you know, like where everyone and their mother is like, I want to quit my day job and start a nonprofit, you know, and I love nonprofits. I've worked for nonprofits in the past. I believe in them. I'm stuck on them. But no one in Portland, I don't think, nobody's making a profit, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, we're just really good at fundraising in Phoenix, right? Like, it's like, uh, but no, there's this reality that, uh, yes, those jobs it can be one way, meaningfully engaging the world, but the reality is that every job has something to contribute. Every job has something to contribute. When you think of world-changing jobs, the, the first one that, that may come to mind, it may not be the plumber, right? But let me assure you, the plumber has changed your world. You will know it when the water stops running, when the toilet gets backed up, and when, you know, like it it can get messy really quick, right? And the reality is often it's things that we've kind of learned to take for granted because it's such an everyday part of our lives. But many occupations today have literally changed the world. You may not think, uh, you know, the first job that comes to your mind might not be a mechanic. Man, we visited the mechanic before we made the big road trip down here. And I'm so thankful they saw stuff in our car that, could have been dangerous and were able to fix it up and get it road ready and prevented us from having a blown tire with three kids out in the heat or having our car flip over or anything like that right like they helped change our world so the reality is that most every job is some form of service to the flourishing and well-being of our city of our community so whether you're Uh, fold-in burritos at Taco Bell, whether you're a mechanic at Les Schwab, you know, kind of putting the tires on the car, whether you're changing your diapers, changing, not your diapers, but (laughs) (laughs) whatever that thing is, there's someone on the other end that's receiving that. I believe God is inviting us to enter into those as avenues of generosity, where we see ourselves giving of ourselves to others, both at our work and from our work. Okay.